Long History, Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 4, Winter in Hudson Bay, a labyrinth without end. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. This is where we take source documents written by people who were present during world famous events and then we split them up into chunks of around 10 minutes or so. Each episode should stand on its own, but of course you can string them all together and in this way find out some, if not all, of the source details that we have about these events. And anyone who's followed our current series will know that we're looking at Henry Hudson's diverse voyages and northern discoveries at the moment. This covers his four famous voyages as Hudson attempted to find a route to the Far East. And after his previous failed attempts, we're now onto the fourth voyage, and we're well into that voyage. The signs have been bad, but from this episode on, things really take a very bad turn for Henry Hudson and his men. And as such, we see that this document, written by Abercock Pritchett, isn't so much a journal of technical details as previous episodes have been, as an account, an excuse, an explanation of the terrible things that happened. There are still another five parts to this voyage, however, so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when those episodes are released. And in the meantime, please feel free to explore yourself. We've covered many of the most famous voyages, including some of the most famous names in history on Long History, and we're slowly and steadily building up a bank of source documents so that people can listen to these events from the horse's mouth. Okay, and so what's the context for today's episode? Well, in the previous episode, the expedition entered the area that would eventually be called Hudson Bay, but they quickly headed south deep into the bay without realising that this would make it difficult for them to leave once the winter set in. According to footnotes in the text, they headed south to today's James's Bay, towards the waters where today's Nunavut, Ontario and Quebec meet. In this episode, events quickly turn sour when the reality of Canada's harsh winter hits. And right as the last episode ended, the crew were passing through what appeared to be a narrow strait. As this episode begins, they exit that strait and lose sight of land and then reach an island. However, things are clearly not going well. Previously on this voyage, Hudson had gathered his men and asked them what they thought about continuing this voyage when they saw the amount of ice all around them threatening to trap and kill them. There had been lots of opinions. Many of the men had said that they didn't want to continue. The decision was made to continue, but perhaps there's an old adage there. If you don't want to know someone's opinion, don't ask them for it. Because by making their opinions known, how can we say it? He let the cat out of the bag, he released the genie from the bottle. And once these men had stated their disagreement, what they said couldn't be unsaid, leaving lingering resentment on all sides, as we'll see, particularly early on in this episode when Henry Hudson makes a change in his personnel. This is Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 4, Winter in Hudson Bay, a labyrinth without end. In the end, we lost sight thereof and saw it not till we came to the bottom of the bay into six or seven fathoms water. Hence, we stood up to the north by west shore till we came to an island in 53, where we took in water and ballast. From hence, we passed towards the north. But, some two or three days after, reasoning concerning our coming into this bay and going out, our master took occasion to revive old matters 
and to displace Robert Jewett from being his mate, and the Botswain from his place, for the words spoken in the first great Bay of Ice. Then he made Robert Billet his mate, and William Wilson our Botswain. Up to the north we stood, till we raised land, then down to the south, and up to the north, then down again to the south, and on Michaelmas Day came in and went out of certain lands, which our master sets down by the name of Michaelmas Bay, because we came in and went out on that day. From hence we stood to the north and came into shoaled water, and the weather being thick and foul, we came to an anchor in seven or eight fathom water, and there lay eight days, in all which time we could not get one hour to weigh our anchor. But the eighth day, the wind beginning to cease, our master would have the anchor up, against the mind of all who knew what belonged thereunto. Well, to it we went, and when we had brought it to a peak, a sea took her, and cast us all off from the capstone and hurt diverse of us. Here we lost our anchor, and if the carpenter had not been, we had lost our cable too. But he, fearing such a matter, was ready with his axe, and so cut it. From hence we stood to the south and to the south-west, through a clear sea of diverse sounding, and came to a sea of two colours, one black and the other white, sixteen or seventeen fathom water, between which we went four or five leagues. But the night coming, we took in our topsails, and stood afore the wind with our mainsail and foresail, and came into five or six fathoms, and saw no land, for it was dark. Then we stood to the east, and had deep water again, then to the south and south-west, and so came to our westernmost bay of all, and came to an anchor nearest to the north shore. Out went our boat to the land that was next us. When they came near it, our boat could not float to the shore, it was so shallow. Yet ashore they got. Here our men saw the footing of a man and a duck in the snowy rocks, and wood good store, whereof they took some, and returned aboard. Being at anchor in this place, we saw a ledge of rocks to the south of us, some league of length. It lay north and south, covered at full sea, for a strong tide setteth in here. At midnight we weighed, and stood to go out as we came in, and had not gone long, but the carpenter came and told the master that if he kept that course, he would be upon the rocks. The master conceived that he was past them, when presently we ran on them, and there stuck fast twelve hours. But, by the mercy of God, we got off unhurt, though not unscarred. We stood up to the east, and raised three hills lying north and south. We went to the furthermost, and left it to the north of us, and so into a bay, where we came to an anchor. Here our master sent out our boat with myself and the carpenter to seek a place to winter in, and it was time, for the nights were long and cold, and the earth covered with snow. Having spent three months in a labyrinth without end, being now the last of October, we went down to the east, to the bottom of the bay, but returned without speeding of that we went for. 
The next day, we went to the south and the southwest and found a place, whereunto we brought our ship and hailed her aground. And this was the first of November. By the tenth thereof we were frozen in, but now we were in, it behoved us to have care of what we had, for that we were sure of, but what we had not was uncertain. We were victualled for six months in good proportion, and of that which was good. If our master would have had more, he might have had it at home and in other places. Here we were, now, and therefore it behoved us so to spend that we might have when time came to bring us to the capes where the fowl bred, for that was all the hope we had to bring us home. Wherefore our master took order, first for the spending of that we had, and then to increase it, by propounding a reward to them that killed either beast, fish or fowl, as in his journal you have seen. About the middle of this month of November died John William, our gunner. God pardon the master's uncharitable dealing with this man. Now for that I am come to speak of him, out of whose ashes, as it were, that unhappy deed grew which brought a scandal upon all that are returned home, and upon the action itself, the multitude like the dog running after the stone, but not at the caster. Therefore, not to wrong the living, nor slander the dead, I will, by the leave of God, deliver the truth as near as I can. You shall understand that our master kept in his house at London a young man named Henry Green, born in Kent of worshipful parents, but by his lewd life and conversation he had lost the goodwill of all his friends and had spent all that he had. This man, our master, would have to see with him because he could write well. Our master gave him meat and drink and lodging, and by means of one Master Venson, with much ado, got four pounds of his mother to buy him clothes, wherewith Master Venson would not trust him, but saw it laid out himself. This Henry Green was not set down in the owner's book, nor any wages made for him. He came first aboard at Gravesend, and at Harwich should have gone into the field with one Wilkinson. At Iceland, the surgeon and he fell out, in Dutch, and he beat him ashore, in English, which set all the company in a rage, so that we had much ado to get the surgeon aboard. I told the master of it, but he bade me let it alone, for, said he, the surgeon had a tongue that would wrong the best friend he had. But Robert Jewett, the master's mate, would needs burn his finger in the embers, and told the carpenter a long tale, when he was drunk, that our master had brought in green to crack his credit that should displease him. Which words came to the master's cares, who, when he understood it, would have gone back to Iceland, when he was forty leagues from thence, to have sent home his mate Robert Jewett in a fisherman. But, being otherwise persuaded, all was well. So Henry Green stood upright and very inward with the master, and was a serviceable man every way for manhood, but for religion. He would say he was a clean paper, whereon he might write what he would. 
Now, when our gunner was dead, and, as the order is in such cases, if the company stand in need of anything that belonged to the man deceased, then it is brought to the main mast, and there sold to them that will give most for the same. This gunner had a grey cloth gown, which Green prayed the master to friend him so much as to let him have it, paying for it as another would give. The master saith he should, and thereupon he answered some that sought to have it, that Green should have it, and none else, and so it rested. Now, out of season and time, the master calleth the carpenter to go in hand with an house on shore, which at the beginning our master would not hear when it might have been done. The carpenter told him that the snow and frost were such as neither could nor would go in hand with such work, which when our master heard, he ferreted him out of his cabin to strike him, calling him many foul names and threatening to hang him. The carpenter told him that he knew what belonged to his place better than himself and that he was no house carpenter. So this passed, and the house was, after, made with much labour, but to no end. The next day after the master and the carpenter fell out, the carpenter took his piece and Henry Green with him, for it was an order that none should go out alone, but one with a piece and another with a pike. This did move the master so much the more against Henry Green, that Robert Billet, his mate, must have the gown, and had it delivered unto him, which, when Henry Green saw, he challenged the master's promise. But the master did so rail on Green, with so many words of disgrace, telling him that all his friends would not trust him with twenty shillings, and therefore why should he? As for wages, he had none, and none should have, if he did not please him well. Yet the master had promised him to make his wages as good as any man's in the ship, and to have him one of the prince's guard when he came home. But you shall see how the devil out of this so wrought with green, that he did the master what mischief he could in seeking to discredit him, and to thrust him and many other honest men out of the ship in the end. <sighs> to speak of all our trouble in this time of winter, which was so cold as it lamed the most of our company, and myself do yet feel it, would be too tedious. But I must not forget to show how mercifully God dealt with us in this time. For the space of three months we had such store of fowl of one kind, which were partridges as white as milk, that we killed above an hundred dozen, besides others of sundry swords for all was fish that came to the net. The spring coming this fowl left us, yet they were with us all the extreme cold. Then in their places came diverse sort of other fowl, as swan, geese, duck and teal, but hard to come by. Our master hoped they would have bred in those broken grounds, but they do not, but came from the south and flew to the north, further than we were this voyage. Yet, if they be taken short with the wind at north or north-west or north-east, then they fall and stay till the wind serve them, and then fly to the north. Now in time these fowls are gone, and few are none to be seen. Then we went into the woods, hills and valleys, 
were all things that had any show of substance in them, how vile soever. The moss of the ground, than the which I take the powder of a post to be much better, and the frog, in his engendering time as loathsome as a toad, was not spared. But amongst the diverse sorts of buds, it pleased God that Thomas Woodhouse brought home a bud of a tree full of turpentine substance. Of this our surgeon made a decoction to drink, and applied the buds hot to them that were troubled with ache in any part of their bodies. And for my part, I confess, I received great and present ease of my pain. So this is the episode where the narrative takes a turn. There has certainly been some historically important exploration in previous episodes, but really for the first significant time, we begin to get a sense of the personalities on board the ship. Abercock Pritchard, who wrote this document, is not shy in writing about Henry Hudson in disparaging terms, documenting the bad decisions that Henry Hudson makes. And we can see that he's writing a sort of testimony here when he writes, Not to wrong the living nor slander the dead, I will, by the leave of God, deliver the truth as near as I can. Now the disagreement as documented here seems slightly strange, but we can see there's a lot of politics going on here. One man dies, and this odd man, Henry Green, is apparently promised one of the dead man's garments. Then Henry Hudson falls out with a carpenter, and when this carpenter shows some sort of vague alliance with Henry Green, Henry Hudson somehow takes offence and gives this garment to someone else. It seems quite a small detail, but it's clearly an explosive situation. Trapped on a boat in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of winter, cold and hungry. This is just the beginning of the disagreements. Thank you for listening everyone. Please, if you like this episode, do give it a like and please share it with any like-minded people. This was Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 4, Winter in Hudson Bay. A labyrinth without end. Goodbye.